Curtis Pipes. Imagine never having to listen to Curtis Pipes. Curtis Pipes. Curtis Pipes. Curtis Pipes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Live Unapologetically with Curtis Pites. I have today, and we went over this a little bit before we went live on how to introduce this beautiful lady. Um, so she's, uh, she left it up to me. So you're going to be talking to Sarah V. She's a wonderful, wonderful human being that I met through social media. Philippine mother of a 10-year-old. She's an entrepreneur, very strong. And the, the title of this podcast is what we're going to be getting into today. It's talking about real shit. And that's what attracted me to in the first place. Because, you know, I think we can go through social media and we can see all the fluff and, you know, see all the possibly, quote unquote, the fake conversations. And one of the first things Sarah said to me was, I want to talk about real shit. So mm-hmm. we're we going to talk about real shit. So on top, going, going further, Sarah, introduce yourself a little bit more for something I forgot. And let's just get into it. Okay, awesome. Curtis, first of all, thank you for inviting me on here. Um, An introduction about myself. I mean, there's so many hats, but let me just start out with, yes, I am a mom, proud mom to a 10-year-old. I have been, um, you could say, a woman in business for the past 10 to 11 years. I have 10 years of digital marketing experience in all areas, you name it, like Google Ads or SEO or even campaigns. Um, I'm currently in the process of building a platform for women called Women in Hong Kong. It's actually based off of a community that I'm very, very blessed to have for the past seven years. And yeah, that's that's really it in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell, she she's uh, she's she's being not uh, how can I say this? You are being a little <laughs> bit light on that, but. We'll get right into it. I want to talk about, you just mentioned it. Uh, this is one of the first questions I have for you is the women of Hong Kong. So it did start out as, from what I've read, what I've researched, it did start out as a small community of women. And when it was small, what was the collective vision for what is what it is now? Did you always see this coming? Or was it like, holy shit, look how big we are now? It was definitely a holy shit moment. I'll tell you how it started. Um, right ahead. I was a club manager from 2011 up till 2000, early 2015. And sometime in 2012, my my ex boss told me, Sarah, we need to fill up the club with with pretty girls, right? Like a kind of a marketing tactic. It'll look good in photos. People will come through because they they see that it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of pretty girls. And back then I'm thinking like, yes, more girls, fun. So then I rallied up my girls um, in exchange for them attending the club that I was, you know, managing events for. We all got free champagne on the house, whatever, right? Like back in the day, that was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, without (laughs) anyone can get it, right? Anyway, we were having a lot of fun up until the manager says, okay, now's your time to shine go hang out with the men. I'm like, Mm. hold on. I don't feel comfortable. But then they gave us bottles. So I was like, okay, girls, let's go hang out with the guys at their table. Long story short, it was uncomfortable. It was safe to say, just not, it's just not something that I want to do over and over again. So I went up to my boss the next day and I was like, look, guy, (laughs) I can do this again. I have a lot of amazing friends, amazing women that are fun, chatty, social, that want to come through, but it's uncomfortable to be sitting with guys or being used like objects. Mm -hmm. So I said, you got to meet me halfway. I have a network. They're amazing women. They can come through and party, make the club look good, but guys aren't allowed to come to our table unless they're invited. That's it. So he was like, okay, go ahead. So uh, every week we would have 10 to 15 girls and then slowly third week, it was like 18. And then a month later it was 25 and word just started getting out. Um, Within six months, we had a group of about a hundred girls. And within seven years, I have a database of over 4,000 emails. Nice. So honestly, it was, it started from clubbing women feeling very comfortable. Um, 
non-judgy, non-judgmental group of women just out to have fun, support each other. And it quickly grew into a community that was, that was always exchanging resources. That was always telling you where the next best thing is. Um, One of the most memorable, one of the most memorable, I'd say, I wouldn't say memorable. I would say something that I can't get off my mind about how helpful this community has been was there was a night where a girl was drunk on the floor and mm-hmm. it, it's called Lan Kwai Fong here where the party area is. Um, there was a, a woman that was drunk on the floor. You know, she was passed out. Nobody knew her except for the girls that were partying with her. Luckily for her, some of these girls were in the group chat that we have. We have a right. WhatsApp group chat with over 250 women active daily. And she sent a photo and asked, does anybody know this girl? Like, can anyone help get her home? And somebody on the group chat knew who that girl is. So that's how powerful this group of of, of, of women is right now. And I yeah. feel like, you know, since the COVID situation, since the protests as well in Hong Kong, there's been a higher demand of support. There's been a higher demand of just being human and just reaching out to help each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it became less about the drinking and the party and really more about women empowering other women. And that's not me trying to sling around the word empowerment. It's it's real shit. Like yeah. I I have goosebumps just, wow. That blows you my know. mind. I got a little bit of goosebumps myself. But- <laughs> I don't want to digress too much. What I know, what I noticed when you first started talking about it was how the 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 club owner, whoever's like, okay, now it's time for you to shine. And what I yeah, what I got from that because I have a little girl. She's she's going to be six years yeah. old next month, and uh-huh. this this whole this basic global view of women through men looking at women as objects. And what I thought was really amazing that you said was. Basically, you went to the club owners like this is what's going to happen. But my question is, when you made that agreement with him that no men are invited in this space unless we say so, how was that? How was that first received by the men, like wanting to come party with y'all? And then, how long did it take for, if at any time whatsoever, how long did it take for those men to respect that? Right. So the first question is, how did they take it? Of course, they. They look at the profits, right? They look at the numbers. Like, would this still help us get the guys popping bottles? I said yes, because it makes it look less cheap. Because I know how clubs work. They throw women at the bottle spenders, and that's about it. Pretty, but kind of like, ugh. So first a question, like, how can you ensure that the club will still make money? So I, I, I put out my my statements i was like look long short term it might not get you money on the night but long term the photographs that are coming out of it and the loyalty being built between the trust of women and the club is just going to gradually increase Mm -hmm. and loyalty as you know when it comes to community or even a business is really really important for long-term growth so they took that in um how did men take it in the club? Like, how long did it take? Oh, a very, very long time. A very long time. <laughs> yeah, <bet>. um, Yeah. <laughs> a long, long time. But we just, we made sure to, you know, be very strict on what we're doing. Again, like, I can't really tell the girls what to do. But yeah, if ever they wanted to go hang out with the guys, that's fine. But under no obligation are they required to be sitting with men. Right. We're just a group of women having fun. We're not models. We're not influencers. We're just women who want to be comfortable getting drunk around each other. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> cool. And uh, listen to some of the words you use, like looking at the numbers and growth. Um, you mentioned earlier digital, digital marketing. Now, I'm going to call you it. You know, I know you wouldn't call yourself. I don't think you did call yourself this earlier. A digital marketing guru. So digital marketing guru, (laughs) Um, at that point in time, were you dabbling in digital marketing at all? Or did it, did you sort of see, I have something here. How can I grow? How can I grow this out? Oh man. Are you ready for another story? I'm always going for a story. (laughs) Um, Well, my digital marketing 
career really started out because it was kind of like a domino effect. I started out as an 18 year old girl that was curious about the nightlife. And then a bikini competition came through that was 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is a lot of money for an 18 year old. Yeah. So I joined that long story short, I won because there was a pole in the club and I danced on that. And then they chose me as a winner where every other girl was just drinking and walking around. The club owners called me back three days later and was like, do you want to, you know, be a dancer in our club? And I was 18. I was like, what do I get? They're like, oh, you know, $3,000 a night, Hong Kong dollars. That's quite a lot of money for an 18 year old. And they're like, we'll throw in some free drinks for you and your friends. I'm like, I'm sold. Sold. Uh I'm in. Um, Fast forward to a year later, people, this was a, uh, this was back in 2007 or 2008 people were using social media in a way where you were looking to see where was a good place to go to. So because I was a dancer and I had a lot of photos getting published online, um, bear in mind, this was a year that phone uh, phone cameras were not really available. People were still using digital cameras, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's 2007. Like, like people had really shitty phone cameras. You can't use that in the, in the club. So we had professional photographers. They would publish the photos and then people would start coming to the club because I had a show. Mm. And then other clubs started seeing that and they were like, Sarah, since you know, you're a freelance dancer, do you want to be a club promoter? And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So I would use my Facebook to advertise and this was the start of my digital marketing tricks, right? Because I was able to use photos of myself, again, not a lot of people had phone cameras. Yeah. Um, I was able to get the attention of anyone that was following me. And Facebook algorithms were easy. easy. So then the club that hired me to become a promoter was also opening restaurants at the same time. And they were like, Sarah, since you're the youngest amongst us and, you know, you're pretty active on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram just started. They had like oh, limited wow. eight filters, eight <laughs> filters, all ugly, ugly as hell. So I took over the social media account of the restaurants that we were opening. Fast forward to four years later, I helped open up to eight or nine restaurants, did all the digital marketing campaigns for that, plus the nightclub. That's how I became a club manager. So your question to how I started with digital marketing, it was never planned. It came with the network. And because 18-year-old Sarah was curious about winning a bikini competition, here I am talking to you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, some of the best things that happen to us are not planned. Yeah. Yeah, it just pops up. It's like, you know what? I'm going to try this. Like, for example, I left, I've haven't lived in the United States, States since 2010. And the reason I left was based on an opportunity uh, to fulfill the dream that I had then was in group fitness. So I wanted to be one of the best in the world. So I just up and left and only, only left on an opportunity. So when I got to New Zealand, didn't have a work visa yet. Um, only basically had three bags um, of clothes and some other stuff with me. Um, and it ended up being homeless for a little bit. Um, so yeah, the whole, you know, when opportunity knocks, you got to take it. Because yeah. I mean, you were basically a trailblazer of social media in Hong Kong. So that's amazing. So good on you there. Now, since you were in the club scene and you're popping bottles, uh, when it, well, I'll just ask like this and definitely correct me. When did your health and fitness journey get more serious? Because I, I checked out your checked out your Instagram and your leg pressing. You're on a roof doing TRX, uh, <laughs> um, and I think I, I can't remember what the what the uh, caption was. But basically, you're talking about seeing like seeing stars or tears or something like that. And with me, I love that. Yeah. Because I'm all about, like, I get up at 3.30 and I'm at the gym at 4. And it's really good that no one's there because I'm sweating, I'm grunting, depending on yeah. what's on my headphones, I'm cursing, and I just don't give a shit because that is my time. And yeah, so when, yeah, I, yeah. when I read that, I was like, okay, okay, something else you got to comment. So when from that transition from the club from the club to now, did your, did your health journey get serious? I love that question. Nobody's ever asked me that, but people have wondered. 
Mm. So being a pole dancer and then shifting over to nightlife, you can kind of imagine the amount of time I would spend working out would decrease because I end up, instead of dancing, I'd be hosting tables, managing entertainers, being in the office, doing advertisements. Like I was, I was, I was working five days a week in the office and then four nights a week in the club. I would have 18 hours worth of work sometimes. Um, so my health actually deteriorated when I really went into the nightlife. So this was between 2012 to 2015, 16. By when I was a dancer, I was 49 kilos, no muscle, just skin and bones. By 2016, I was 64 kilos and I was not happy. I was okay. from all like I would be drinking six Jaeger bombs a night, four nights a week. And this is bare minimum. Yeah. Minimum. Bare minimum. Bare minimum. Okay. I needed to keep up. I needed to sell bottles. I needed to get people in. I needed people to stay. Right. Yeah. So young Sarah didn't understand the harmful effects long-term. Um, but by 2016, somebody approached me and said, you have a really good social media following. Do you want to be our lab rat for our personal trainer? And okay. you know what? I was like, I'll take it. But oh my God, it was so rough. It was, a, I, I went about six weeks straight, three times a week, 1,200 calorie deficit. It was a deficit, 1,200 calorie limit a day, no carbs, no sugar, one mm. hour just pumping. And I have never done that in my life. It was so difficult. I quit after six weeks, but it did kickstart my journey. Yeah. And between 2016 to 2019, I had two or three other personal trainers, but I would always quit. I would always quit because I was back into drinking or because I had to travel. I was traveling a lot between Barcelona and Hong Kong with my ex. So I couldn't really do this, the eight to 12 week program. Yeah. It was just nearly impossible for me. And then in 2020, February, this would be three months after drinking Kangen water. I realized what the hell I'm investing in my health. Why don't I try again? So for the next three months by myself, because of my experience with personal trainers, I was able to drop my weight down to 54 kilos, okay. eat healthy, work out three times a week. And honestly, like that was the transition between being a, a, an active pole dancer to nightlife to holy shit, I don't like how I look. Right. None of my dresses fit. My heels feel tight. I don't look good in photos. I, I'm very, very swollen. Every time mm. our photos, got, and I was just like, I can't, I can't keep looking like this. So yeah. it, it came from, it came from my insecurities. Definitely. Okay. I was extremely insecure. And I said to myself, I just can't, I just can't keep doing this anymore. Yeah, I'm like you. Like I barely, I barely drink anymore. I really, I stopped drinking wine, white yeah. and red, for yeah. because I was puffy. Mm -hmm. Like the water retention in my fingers. Like you used to get really swollen fingers. Like it literally looked like I had sausage fingers. So even to make yeah. a fist, it was very uncomfortable. And how you mentioned about the 18, 19 year olds there, it wasn't understanding the long term effects of alcohol and the partying. I really started to realize what the long term effects of drinking was wine and everything of that nature. And I was like, okay, so I cut the wine completely. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore, especially with getting older and how ultimately I want to be, you know, as fit as possibly as I possibly can for as long as I can. And so it's very interesting to talk about the long-term and how your health journey came from your insecurities, which I really think if anyone's honest, since we are talking about real shit, I think a lot of, and definitely, you know, agree to disagree and tell me what you think is that a lot of the health journey for a lot of people come from their insecurities. Yeah. 
I mean, I agree. definitely in this age of social media where you can just scroll and see, you know, the drink body, the abs, the, I mean, we can give you got the peach emoji with the booty and, and all that shit. So yeah, it's um interesting how your journey started. Now, this is where your journey, where is your journey now? And you mentioned keg of water. I'm a keg and water drinker. Won't do, won't drink anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah, this shit just happened. I, I, I will never give a keg of water. So yeah. where what have you learned in regards to where your insecurities came from to start your health journey to where you are now? Because the way I see you on social media, I definitely don't see those insecurities at all. And definitely the way that you present yourself when you speak and just everything else. So what did, what did, you, what did you learn yourself, your insecurities were? And then how have you overcome them to Basics. I still, I still believe you do some pole dancing, right? Mm-hmm. I just actually yeah. just started after 10 years. Yeah. yeah. So where did you see your insecurities come from at 18, 19, or when you had the personal trainers into now? Okay. So I'm going to touch up on a little bit of childhood trauma here. Um, I grew up and I love my parents dearly. Love them. Nobody's fault but they were working full-time jobs and I was left with helpers. I grew up spoiled. Jaden? Sorry, I think That's my fun. I can cut this out. You're good to go. You're good to go. Oh, God, you scared me. No, 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 I didn't, no, no. no. <laughs> it was like a, a gas delivery. Sorry about that. No, that's all good. <laughs> like Jaden, I told you not to be here. It's like hasn't has been an hour yet. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was thinking, should I leave him outside? Anyway, hey, we're- <laughs> slide a note under the door. Do not come in. <laughs> no, it's gonna be like, go to your room quickly and don't interrupt me. We need this on, on the BTS. This, yeah. is, this, this is what inter- interviewing single moms is like. Um, where were we? Oh, right. So about insecurities and what got me to where I am in terms of my fitness level. Um, my parents weren't always around simply because they were really working hard to, you know, get the cash flow in to be able to support me and get me anything I wanted. Um, imagine that would mean they didn't have a lot of time for me so I wasn't I was feeling invalidated you could say I couldn't get the love and attention from my parents um, as much as I as much as they would have wanted to give it to me as well they couldn't to the point where when I became a pole dancer it became all about how much love and attention I could get. Like, oh my God, you're so beautiful up there. You're so amazing. You look sexy. You're like, wow, I want to be like, you know? So it was like a whole wave of validation and attention was just coming my way. And that's how it went for years. But because I finally got it, I was afraid to lose it. So then that brought in, you know, the insecurity of like, oh my God, I need to make sure I always look nice. I need to make sure they love the, the, my outfit, my, my jewelry, you know, it just became so surface level. I lost myself to my insecurities mm-hmm. and people always say that, um, Sarah, how, how could you be so insecure? Look at you, look at your social media profile, look at, you know, all the friends and the parties you've been in. And I could honestly say right now that the past 10 years of my network in Hong Kong throughout the past 10 years, I've just been um, battling with myself a mm-hmm. lot. It was hard because the moment somebody says one thing they didn't like about me, I would crumble. I wouldn't go to work. It was really difficult, really difficult. And I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was me being moody or emotional. So all those labels. Yeah. All those yeah. labels. So you're, you're a drama queen. And I'm like, I don't really know how to control these emotions or where it's coming from, you know, but yeah, what can I do? <laughs> um. So yeah, the insecurity really kickstarted that need to look good for people. 
So in 2016, when I said yes to the personal trainer, the only things that were running through my head was like, oh my God, I'm going to look so great. People are going to love me. People are going to comment. They're going to like so much, blah, 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 blah. Like people will love me. That was all that was flashing in my head. Right. And it didn't work for me. 2016, 17, 18, 19, all those times of personal training, it never worked because I wasn't doing it for myself. I was doing it or the likes or the the videos like oh let me record this while I push you know the weights like but I wasn't I was less focused on my on my journey and so focused on the goal that the moment I fucked up the journey I quit 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 don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. that's how bad it is if you do things for people instead of doing it for yourself Totally agree. Totally agree. It's that um, whole, you know, bottomless pit you're trying to fill up with external with external gratification. Like it would never ever be filled. Exactly. But yeah. but that that definitely changed for me in 2020. I, you know, we were all going through quarantine. <laughs> we were going through quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was clubbing. Nobody was posting vacation photos. The validation level became much less and people started looking inwards, including mm-hmm. myself. And I was like, my son is stuck in the Philippines. He couldn't fly back. Um, my boyfriend back in the day was all stuck in Canada. So it was really just me. And I looked at myself and I was like, I think this is the time that I'm going to focus on my food and my workout. And I did that. And three months later, I'm, I've never been so fit. And this was a year ago, a year ago, unbelievable. And I'm so happy in my own skin. I did that for myself. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't imagine being away from my child. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Well, since you did have that time to yourself, (laughs) what was for you the biggest aha moment like what was that one moment that basically changed everything what was the what was and how did and how did you heal like what did you realize and then how did you heal since yeah i totally agree with you we all had all the time in the world to look inward and i did the same thing um even though i still have brooklyn running around driving me nuts half the time but that's a whole nother story um but since you did have that time to yourself and i think that as humans we just don't get that. Not no. with phones, not with the Instagramification of Netflix. Like I know a lot of people would, would Netflix their butts off during quarantine or in iPads. And so there's all these little stuff, there's all these stimuluses around us that can easily distract us from what basically is the elephant in the room. So for you, of course, if you don't mind sharing with the listeners, what was the biggest thing that you realized that you need to overcome and how did you heal it? Or if you, and if you haven't finished healing it, how are you still healing it? Seriously, I think this is my favorite interview. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Real shit. Um, First of all, I was alone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are afraid to be alone. Not not physically, but in their own thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? That's why we're constantly in social engagements. We're constantly looking for people to drink with. We're Netflixing when it's quiet. Like we're just always doing something, but we never just sit and have a conversation with ourselves. So I had a lot of that. And oh my God, um, if I were to unravel everything I discovered, it would take another two or three (laughs) interviews. But let me start out with- three. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll narrow it down to the most important thing was I didn't know how to be a real mom. I realized okay. that. I realized I wasn't being my, my kid then was already nine years old All right. and I haven't been the right parent. Like I, I had my son at the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a tough realization. And number two was that I had, I was very codependent. I was very codependent to my partner that I demanded that he came back soon. Um, And that was very unhealthy for him and for me. But these were the things that I started to see about myself. And I realized I got to work on these things, right? Because 
it doesn't matter how healthy or how rich or smart I am. If I can't heal these parts of me about feeling like I'm lacking as a, as a mother, mm-hmm. uh, feeling extremely codependent to my partner, I would never be happy. I needed to, I, that was a moment where I realized I needed to find happiness and contentment within myself yeah. because I just, I just wouldn't be able to function yeah. as a proper human being. And it was, it was tough. So now um, I've actually just passed my emotional trauma license as a, as a, I wouldn't say consultant, I'd say as a coach or a guider, uh, someone, Mm -hmm. sorry, as someone that can guide someone through emotional difficulties. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a lot about neuroscience. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, when you start to understand how the brain works, it helps when you're trying to heal yourself because it's, it doesn't look like woohoo anymore. Like, Oh, sound healing meditation, you know, all these things that the, your average person would say that doesn't really work. But when you understand the connection between all these healing modules to your brain, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So those are the two things that I'm dabbling into right now. Um, that has helped my healing journey mm-hmm. still on it definitely but i wouldn't be able to recognize myself a year ago oh that's good but yeah if i if yeah. i stood next to me we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to recognize each other nice like who, who are you who are you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. almost oh just uh, it's just i'm just so grateful the two things that you said um about being a mother and I grew up a single mom like my mom is like my superhero like she raised me and my sister my older sister and even even now I even ask her to this day like how did you do it just how and her answer always this is gangster about my mom is I just did it I was like yeah that's so gangster but with you mentioned you mentioned you know not using your exact words but basically saying you you felt that you weren't a good mother. And I think it's always, as, as a society, definitely let me know what, what you think, is there's so much fucking pressure on women yeah. to be at all, to be, and I put my mom on that pedestal. I realized that years ago, because like I was that first grader and I'll never forget this, on the first day of school, you know, we introduce ourselves, where we're from, our parents, whatever. And who's your superhero? Like if that, everyone was saying like the Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man and all this stuff. I said my mom, like I wrote down, my superhero is my mom. Oh, <laughs> so like back then it was cute, but I was like, for her, and this goes into the brain stuff that you're talking about for her, you know, I have to be always on, I have to always be on it. And so in saying that about yourself, where are you comparing, what, what model of a mother were you comparing yourself to if you were comparing yourself to any type of model as a mom? And when did you begin to show yourself compassion? Because I firmly believe that you really start the healing process when you show yourself compassion and realize, you know what? You're fucking human. You're never going to get it fucking right. You're always going to fucking fail, which we'll get into after this is a good segue. Um, But when did you really start to show yourself that compassion in regards to, you know what? No, I'm not a fucking perfect mom but mm-hmm. this is my standard as opposed to, is it, like I said, as if you did it, compared yourself to someone. So the question is, did you ever, did you have a model of, uh, did you have a model of a mom that you were comparing yourself to? And when, when, and if you have, when did you start, start showing yourself compassion for that? Like basically letting yourself off the hook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So the mom model I based my standards on, really started when I was pregnant. Um, I think I was 19 or 20. Yeah, I was 20. And people would come up to me and say, Oh, you know, you're too young, you can't do it. Um, You can't do it alone, you won't find a partner. But I'm, I'm a very emotional being. So for me, I can't just give up a child, I was like, "Mm, I can do I can handle it. Yeah, Um, I'm also 
a go-getter. I'm very goal-oriented where I'm not a quitter. So I, I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to build this image again. It did start off with with me wanting people to validate the fact that I was successful Mm. as a single mom. I wanted to show them I could work. I wanted to show them I could build a business. Um, I wanted to show them I could raise a kid. And I also wanted to show them that I'm still fun social Sarah that can go out drinking and clubbing, right? So you can see all of those take a lot of time in somebody's everyday life. And um, I spread myself so thin that I lost myself in the validation of people being in the club, being, being a mom, that I had my son stay with my family for many years. And I would be in and out of the house, you know, he knew that I was mommy, my son knew that I was mom. But my son spent more time with my mother, who is his grandmother and my sister, than he would spend with me. Um, and I wouldn't say it was because I was neglecting him. It was because I did have to work a nine to five job in the office and I was also doing nightlife. So Monday to Friday, it was me proving to people I can get a full-time job and I can handle it. Right. Nine to five, nine to six in Hong Kong, get home at seven, Jaden eats dinner, passes out at nine. Yeah. Right. That's assuming I don't have to work in the club or I don't have to launch a restaurant menu. Clubs are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Restaurants have lunches and dinners. You know, there's a new dinner menu, so we have to do the tasting at 7 p.m. Didn't know that what I was didn't know that I was really putting a lot of myself into my work yeah. until the third year. And my son was my son was about five. And I I, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I opted to go into freelance, but I hope that answers your question on the type of mom I wanted to be Yeah. Um, for when it changed for me was just a year ago. I started to love myself. I started to love myself. I started to realize that nobody's perfect, that we are all doing the best that we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And comparing ourselves to others is like an endless pit of never feeling satisfied with yourself. Yeah. It's just, it's just an awful place to be, to always look at another mom and be like, I want to be that mom. Right. But other moms look at me and they're like, I want to be like you too. And I'm like, you don't want to be like me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it comes down to just the practice of gratitude helped me start to love myself, everything I have, flaws and failures. And in in turn, and that's why people say you got to love yourself before anybody, right? Including my son. I didn't know how to love and take care of my son fully, genuinely, the most authentic way until I truly started to love every single thing about me. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. So yeah, it's only been a year. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could so go on a whole gratitude tangent, but I won't. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that because I want to get into failure. Like this is one big thing. I want to get into failure as fast as possible. Um, because I'm super excited about this one. Uh, you mentioned that people don't like to talk about failure. People don't like to show failure. Yeah. And I want to get. I'll just let you run with it. I want to get your take on why do you think that is like, I have my own personal opinion. Like people want to always emulate the result. Mm-hmm. Like they, I mean, and you can, again, social media is the perfect example. You see someone with the great body or the money in the house. They don't hardly talk about the journey and the failures that happen. Like one thing for me as a coach, as a speaker, as an, as an author, like I talk about my failures tenfold because i don't give a shit and it's like yeah. i still make them i make them every day with brooklyn as a father like i don't care and just yeah. because again like you mentioned earlier i'm human I'm never gonna be perfect and yeah. just got and just gotta go with it and one of the big quotes that I, I like is and i can't remember who said it was 
failure means nothing about you as a human being. It just means the way that you were doing it does not work. And when I heard that, it, just, it basically blew my mind because I used to think the same thing. I was a failure in this. I was a failure in, you know, in health and fitness. I felt that I was a failure one time because, yes, I, I looked great on the, on the outside, but I had an eating disorder behind closed doors. So really felt that I was a failure to fake and all this stuff. But I would love to get your take on why you think people don't like to talk about failure. And I'm just going to let you go with it. <laughs> so I guess I'll start out with asking myself that, why would I be afraid to talk about my failures? Being judged, being looked mm-hmm. at like, oh, poor her, pity party, right? Um, yeah. Something about the Filipino community, which I, I'm Filipino, is that we grew up hearing this word, and I'm going to translate it, but it says, oh, kawawatnaman means like, oh, pity this person. Oh, poor you. Oh, poor me. So it's more like, oh, you don't want to hear that being spoken about you. Um, so part of the way I look at my failures and probably, again, this is me projecting it, and but it's by assumption as well. People don't want to talk about their failures because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be judged because deep down people are insecure. People are insecure because it's a defense mechanism. Like you don't want to be the one talked about by six other people around you. Right. But why are they talking? They're talking because they don't want to be the one talked about. And honestly, that's kind of why bullying exists in schools. The bullies are the most insecure children but they're up on the pedestal first pointing fingers at everybody so that nobody ever points at them. So why does nobody want to talk about a failed relationship? Because nobody wants to look, look, be looked at like that. Like, Oh, you fucked up. You screwed up. Maybe you're needy. Maybe you're clingy, right? Nobody wants to talk about a failure in divorce or, or getting fired. I've been fired, what, like three times? <laughs> yeah, but I learned from it, yeah. you know, but nobody will want to be like, oh, I got fired too, until you say you did. Yeah. Um, that's my guess. People don't want to talk about failures because nobody wants the spotlight on them. It opens yeah. doors to be judged. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's, I didn't, I didn't even think of it that way as far as judgment, because judgment's huge, especially when people can hide behind a keyboard now, where yeah. it used to be just, in, used to be just in your face. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to age myself a little bit when I say this, but back in my day, <laughs> like, there was no social media. There was, there was, it was judged face to face. Sometimes, sometimes you got some, turns out you would catch some hands, but it was not behind the screen. It was not behind the phone. And so, yeah, that's, I never thought of it that, that, way, that way. People don't want to be judged. Now, so did you have that going on at, at any time before you really started talking about your failures and what shifted for you to be like, I'm Sarah, I've been fired three times and this is what's happened to me. And you were able to sit back basically with your arms out and didn't have an issue with people saying anything to you if they said anything at all. What, how'd that switch for you? Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it keeps going back to self-acceptance and self-love mm-hmm. when you really, really start and not, not even fully when you really start seeing your self-worth for yourself, your value and how much you love yourself. Like give me an example, you'll give the greatest advice to your kids or to your wife, but, but we tend not to do it for ourselves. Like you'll, you'll tell your wife, make sure you drink three liters of Kangen water, you know, but like you don't even do it because why we don't love ourselves enough the way that we love other people. And that's where the problem starts. I just, I'm just a big believer in self-love. As corny and cliche as it sounds, I used to be like, self-love, what is that? Like, how do I, like, do I use my sex toys? Is that what we're talking about? Like, (laughs) self-love, you know? Like, I didn't have, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I feel like a lot more people need to, need to see that. I feel like I've gone in a circle past your question. Bring me back. (laughs) Bring me back. Uh, Yeah, so... When did you make the shift on not having or people's judgment of you 
stopping you from talking about your failures. Yeah. Self-love does self-love does go into that. So but continue. Yeah. I stopped caring what people said about me. I stopped caring. No, of course, there's still a level of care there. Mm-hmm. Like, will this affect my job? But it had nothing to do with my job. I just I asked myself, okay, let's 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 make up a name. Jessica says she doesn't like how I do X Y Z. Okay, so what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, and then what? You know, okay, Gary says he doesn't like how I wear revealing clothes. I'm like, okay, Gary. So what? Right? Yeah. Like, once you get past that and you ask yourself, so what if I don't look as perfect in this photo as I would in a filter? So what? Right? Yeah. And the answer would be like, I'll get less likes. Okay, hold on. Stop right there. Why do you care about the less likes? Yeah. And this is when people stop answering. The little voice starts to say, because I want to be validated. Why? Why do you want to be validated? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the, the answer stop and they're like, oh, let's go back. Like, let's yeah. try. I don't want to do I don't want to face myself. Yeah, they don't want to face any of that shit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they go back into filtering their photos because they don't want to ask why they need to filter their photos. Yeah. Why do they care? when you really sit with yourself and ask, why do I give a fuck about what people think of me if I get fired? Do I have the reason as to why I got fired? For the people that care enough to ask and I tell them why, then they'll be like, that's valid. You know, good riddance, better you don't stay in that company because it was Mm. toxic. I'll tell you the truth. My most recent job I got fired from was because I stood up for women. Wow. And they didn't like that. But on paper, Sarah got fired. If you ask me why, I didn't like the bullying in the company. So I was the only one that had the balls and the tongue to say something about it. And I got fired. I'd rather be fired, honestly. I just, I just didn't care. I just didn't care. I care more about how people get impacted. Right. Yeah. Time we have here. That goes into two quotes that I read on, on your social media. And the first one was, (laughs) Oh yeah. I just, I did my research. (laughs) The, The first quote was the best weight you'll ever lose is the weight of other people's opinions of you. Absolutely. Which you totally just completely um, described with that, with, with what you said, with your response. And the yeah. other one was, life is all about mastering the reaction. Yeah, yeah. And that is so huge because <laughs> people who just fly off the cuff, it's like your deep. It's like little boy, your little boy, your little girl coming to the show, as yeah. opposed to you sitting back and really thinking about how to respond instead of how to react. Like I firmly believe there's a big difference in the two. Um, and I used to be very, very reactive until I started down my healing journey and everything of that nature. I would fly off the cuff in a heartbeat. That's just, just how I was. But yeah. realizing that it says more about me than it does about them. Yeah. And that I need to do is look myself in the mirror and see what the hell's going on. When I got that, that whole mastery and the reaction thing is came, became clear. Now we're almost yeah. out of time, but I got two more things for you. One, first question is, what is, and he, your son's only 10, but what is the one thing, you have to pick one, what is the one thing that you would want your son to see you role model? that you want him to take on for himself? That's, that's easy. <laughs> Definitely extreme resilience, mm-hmm. whatever happens, right? You fail school, you lose your bike, you get your heart broken by your classmate, somebody in the family dies, who knows? Mm-hmm. Resilience would be my answer. And he's he's definitely seen that with me, 
And yeah. um, for a 10 year old boy, I guarantee you, if you sit with him for an hour and have a discussion with him, you'll think he was like 14 or 16 with the, with the way he talks about situations and challenges and science facts, right? He loves that shit. <laughs> definitely being resilient. And if I were to add to that, emotional control, mm. whatever happens, be resilient and have emotional control. Yeah. It will change the game for you 110%. Yeah, it's insanely, insanely. Yeah, this one thing I, I, we taught, we teach Brooklyn is she's very, she's a very, for lack of a better term, emotional. But we don't make it wrong, we don't make it right. It, just, it is what it is, and because she's yeah. getting to this age where she's getting highly, well, she is highly influenced by her friends and how her, their parents may say that you're being dramatic or. Uh, why are you being so scared or things of that nature? She'll, she'll come home from playing with the friends saying all this shit. Yeah. I'm like, where'd you pick that up from? I, I go right into daddy mode. I'm like, that shit stays at the house. I was like, that shit don't come in this house. I was like, <laughs> I like your emotions are not right around. They just are. So if that is how you feel, that is how you feel. But leave all that other shit outside on the playground. Man, let's just come in here. Um, but she's getting it. Like she, I mean, it's. I think as kids get older, and I firmly believe parents are. We're always going to be parents in training. We're never yeah. going to be the quote unquote perfect parent. But yeah. she, she gets it. She's get because she even asked me sometimes. Like I was having a crazy morning. Funny enough, I was having a crazy morning this morning after I got home, yeah. working out. And she woke up finally, and she's like, "Dad, how are you feeling this morning? Are you feeling confused?" <laughs> you projecting yourself. I was like. Go brush teeth. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, yes, I am. And this is why. But very, yeah, she's very perceptive. Uh, she's very perceptive. But the one other question I wanted to ask you, because I'm a firm believer in self-love. Like the big thing for me, I noticed going through all the traumas, unraveling my traumas and learning the lessons. There was a common thread of lack of self-love for my, obviously for myself. And so like you mentioned love yourself more than you love someone else. Like you put yourself first before your son, you put yourself before your mother, your spouse, whatever it is. So, and you, but you did say, you don't know how to describe it. I want you to try. So what in your mind, Sarah, do you believe self-love is? And what do you believe it looks like? Ooh, something I've been learning recently. Yeah, I, can see you, I can see you thinking. <laughs> Definitely boundaries would be the first thing, right? Yes. Boundaries was tough for me to, to comprehend simply because I wasn't taught it and I didn't exercise it. And not a lot of people around me exercised it either. So I would take anything that was my way. My, my, I had a really abusive relationship one time, but I didn't know what boundaries were, right? Or like if I, if I again, was codependent, non-stop calling someone six missed calls 12 missed calls where are your boundaries sarah right you when you when you identify the boundaries for yourself and for the people around you that brings in the level of respect you have for yourself ultimately unfolding the self-love because you know that these boundaries are important for you and that you can and you should respect the people around you and with with their own boundaries people you love people you respect that would be my first one and then i guess this this ties in with boundaries learning how to say no and when to say no yeah. without feeling guilty the problem as kids is that, you know, when we say no to an adult, they see it as disrespect. Like, no, you don't want to eat this. No, you don't want to shower. You know, you get punished for saying what you feel. Mm. Then you, as, 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 as children growing up into adult bodies with children's mindsets, you start to think, oh, I don't want to say no because this person will get upset or mad or I'll hurt their feelings. So we start to look at how other people feel versus ourselves more. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't loving myself. I definitely needed to learn how to say no. 
because I didn't have time for myself or my kid because I was busy saying yes, yes, yes to get the approval of others. I didn't want them to not like me because I said no. Yeah. So that's, I guess that ties in with setting boundaries, right? Yeah. Like you need to learn to not feel guilty for putting yourself first. Even my son, mom, can we play games? I'm like exhausted today. You know what? I'm going to be a grumpy mommy playing Monopoly. Let's do it tomorrow. I need to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Like, fine. Fine. I'd feel guilty, but I'm like, I'd rather feel guilty for myself and ask myself why I'm feeling guilty than leave my son with a shitty game night experience Yeah. for the sake of saying yes. Yeah. Right? Self-love also is sitting with yourself and no, I'm not talking about face masks and pedicure and foot spas. Those are like surface level self-love. Let's talk about diving deep and asking yourself, why are you fucked up in certain areas? What can you do to improve yourself for yourself first and ultimately the people around you mm. right so i was able to identify was i was very emotional and that if i didn't fix that i wouldn't be loving myself enough like to be the best version of yourself for for yourself that's ultimate self love I need to be this, that, and that. How do I get there? And am I trying to do all these things? Am I trying to improve myself for others or for me? All right. So when you yeah. start to really identify why you need to improve, it's all about intention. It's my intention to improve for Instagram because everybody's doing it because my son needs a good mom. Yeah, my son needs a good mom, but I need to improve for myself first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's me trying to describe how you start to love yourself, set boundaries, learn how to say no, learn to respect yourself in a way that makes you happy, right? Like I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, somebody I used to work with and now I don't because after the statement, I quit. She said to me, Sarah, you being on a poll makes you look like a bad influence and not everybody thinks like that and you know it, it, it hit me a little bit because I'm like my hobbies that you know add to my fitness and my creativity level should not define me as a human being should not be like you know they're they're tied in in a sense but you can't judge me like that yeah but I had enough self-awareness and self-love to say that no I want to keep this for myself it keeps me human it keeps me happy for myself and it's not harmful to the people around me like like drugs is a different story you can't say no ketamine makes me happy and I'm going to keep it for myself no boo you're that's harmful to your physical and your mental and emotional but um yeah I mean just just do things for your benefit yeah that ultimately lead you to a healthier life that's and amazing then, answer. yeah too long yeah. though sorry <laughs> no 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 basically what you said was boundaries learn to say no which another quote that i i love quotes is no is complete sentence yeah and yeah. so there's no why so your three yeah. things right there so that was an amazing thing that was amazing definitely yeah well, before we go, Sarah, is there anything else you want to say to the listeners? I'll leave you with the last one. I do want to say that people, whoever's listening, you know, stay curious. We only have one life. And when you live your life in such a repetitive way, you know, you're you're taking the same route to work, you're cooking the same meals, you're watching the same shows 365 days a year. Do something different today or tomorrow. Walk a different path, right? You have a routine with your kid, try something new. I guess just don't don't waste time doing the same shit. Grow, stay curious, ask questions. Just try everything. Try everything. There you have it. That's your your live unapologetically must do. 
for this episode <laughs> is to remain curious. Sarah V, it was amazing, amazing interviewing you, and I want to do this again. <laughs> but thank you for your we time. Oh, for sure. Definitely again. But thank you for your time, Sarah. That was Living Apologetically. This episode with Sarah V and Curtis Pipes. Thank you for listening. As I always like to end it, peace and love. Because to everybody, but most importantly, be great to yourself. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Curtis. Hey, what's up, my beautiful people? Curtis Pipes here. If you enjoy listening to this episode of Live Unapologetically, please subscribe, please review, and please rank this podcast so the more people that do so, like yourself, this will go around the world and impact more people. That is the goal. That is the intention. That is the entire vision. I appreciate your support. Thank you. Hey, what's up, my beautiful people? Curtis Pipes here. If you enjoy listening to this episode of Live Unapologetically, please subscribe, please review, and please rank this podcast so the more people that do so, like yourself, this will go around the world and impact more people. That is the goal, that is the intention, that is the entire vision. I appreciate your support. Thank you. It's the Live Unapologetically podcast with Curtis Pipes.